Yeah, we got to save all the Camille Paglia stuff for when the mic is hot. <laughs> yeah, that's. I figured that's going to be a whole section. <laughs> I lost my fucking mind. I was like, oh my God, I forgot Camille Paglio is in this. <laughs> I like immediately opened up her Wikipedia page to be like, what is this? What is the deal on this? Because like, She's the, a fucking trip. That whole scene like triggered my secondhand embarrassment so bad that I was like not, I couldn't like look at my computer screen. I kept like glancing away. It was like <sighs> worse than British humor. Oh, God. Yeah, there's a lot of secondhand embarrassment in this movie. It's just not something I like watching, but... Oh, the acting is so bad. It's so 90s indie movie acting. Yeah. Everything was funny. I feel like the acting was inconsistent. Like, sometimes I I feel like I got what they were trying to do with the characters. And then, like, the dinner scene, I just got confused. And I was like, I don't... I think I understand what's happening. Then the follow-up scene is like... I don't understand how Tamara's acting towards me. I'm like, yeah, I think I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe something about being like, you have to create your own history. And she's like kind of stuck in the past by focusing like all of her like time and research and energy on this like past thing and not kind of paying attention to the people in her present and future. Maybe, but I might be reading into it. This is also, yeah. Yeah. I cannot believe that it took me this long to recommend that we watch this for the podcast, (laughs) considering I love this movie and have been a fan of it since grad school. And it has a library scene and an archive scene. So yeah, like, yeah, I learned about it because there's this book through Litwin Books uh, called Ephemeral Material, Queering the Archive, author Alana Kumbier. Um, And there's a whole chapter about this film and it's specifically talking about like the scene in the the library with the reference librarian um, and like libraries as like gatekeeping history and like whiteness and libraries as well as talking about clit which is the lesbian her story archives which I actually one time got accepted to intern with them in over the summer but could not find housing in New York City like that I could afford to do it back when I was a dyke person but yeah because the lesbian her story archives is like a real ass thing um but clit unfortunately is not <laughs> the center for lesbian information information and technology, and technology yeah yeah I mean, why don't I mean, we all have about good it. names like that i i honest to god was like is this a real place yeah it's a lesbian her, her story archives <laughs> yeah no I, th- I was like i was like but is there actually an archive that has the acronym clit because i i could totally see it 90s it, lesbians are that corny that i would not doubt it <laughs> yeah no but once i was like oh, okay it's it's not real but this is still like hilarious like like so much of the more of this movie makes sense when you realize how corny lesbians are and you just remember like oh right lesbians are corny and cringe in the best way and then this movie just makes so much more sense <laughs> i'm allowed to say that i used to be a lesbian <laughs> Have we actually stated the name of the movie since we've been recording? No. It's the, water, it's the Watermelon Woman. <laughs> it was just incredible. Uh, Cheryl uh, Dunye. Dunye. Everyone should go watch it. It's incredible. I was really happy that Criterion picked it up a couple of years ago. But there's also discourses about Criterion picking it up, right? Um, but yeah, incredible film. All people in libraries and archives should see this film, I think. Like, as much as I love Party Girl, fuck Party Girl. You should be required to watch this before you, like, become a librarian instead of Party Girl or Desk Set. Like, I think The Watermelon Woman talks about more important things about what libraries and archives actually do instead of just Parker Posey, which we stand, but you know, mm. like, I don't know why that's the one that we, I mean, maybe it's cause this one has some like real hot fucking in it. And I don't want to show that in grad school. First the kiss, then the cum. Come, 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 come. What the fuck was that? Justin? <laughs> Where did you even get that? Uh, TikTok. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm not Which might be banned that. because China is bad. I saw that, yeah. The Biden administration says that the Chinese owners have to sell their shares or they're just going to ban the whole app. Which I don't know what that means, except that you would, I guess, sanction the company so that Apple can't do business with them or something. And then that would effectively ban it. Because if it's not in the iStore or the App Store, then I guess it's banned. I don't know. Yeah, it seems silly. Because, like, why why TikTok and not, like, 
QQ or any of the other like social media stuff that we could still access? I guess because they're not popular, but. Well, the legislation will probably hit those ones too. It's just targeting TikTok in specific, in like particular. I don't even like TikTok, but like TikTok doesn't deserve this. I mean, it does, but you can't do that. <laughs> mm. In my soul, it deserves it, but that doesn't mean you should just get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. We need to bring back, uh, uh, what was the thing we were talking about with, with Luther? Stumble upon. Stumble upon. Yes. Yeah. Bring it back. Oh, Return. yeah. That like, yeah, took a minute to go through my head. And I was like, I had like a flashback to like ninth grade. And I was like, oh, right. right stumble upon. I <laughs> remember. I really liked that site. We're going to be over to a lot. podcast, but about stumble upon. <laughs> yeah. But I completely forgot it existed. And it was like one of the most popular, like social media outlinking sites. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah. You could have stumble inside, which would be, Does it work I think still? people put that in there. I think it closed in 2018, but you could put it like inside your MySpace and you would like randomly go to random MySpaces. I think that was how I used it the most. Um, I think it actually. It's gonna no. What was the other one that was like a massive tagger where you could like save things? Oh, um, dig it. Yeah, something like that. Oh, shut down twenty eighteen. Then what did I find online? Sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. there's a site for stumble upon, but it might be like an old aggregator or something. Um, I think it like partnered um, with uh, College Humor, and then oof. I think it died when those sites died. It's sad. Yeah, I remember that site. It was good. Bring it back. It was like a good version of the I'm feeling lucky button. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would because it would take you to popular sites. It would take you to like the Sistine Chapel 3D scan. I remember that was like its default page or something. It was like, oh, check this out. It's the 3D scan of the Sistine Chapel. Before that was like a popular thing. It was it was cool. I learned a, like that's how I first learned about like, you know, like the like artists that like busk and use like foil. And newspaper and like pots and pans and spray paint to paint like galaxies and stuff mm-hmm. um, based on like you can like pull the magazine like they'll use like magazine paper and then like they put and like the pot down they spray around it and then they peel it up and like by peeling away things and spray painting and just like the texture of the magazine paper you can make like galaxies and stuff it was like a really cool that i see all the time now walking around like Harvard square like i was like oh shit i remember that from like 10th grade <laughs> seeing that stumble yeah. upon. So we watched the watermelon woman. Should we do our theme song? <laughs> uh, you want to? <laughs> Just throw it in later. <laughs> like at the end. <laughs> the episodes that are just us are always like the most chaotic. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it'll throw us off if I don't. I'm Justin. I'm a Skullcom librarian. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Sadie. I work IT at a public library. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm Jay. I'm a music library director, and my pronouns are he, him. Welcome to the cum zone. <sighs> Justin. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make this as offensive to Camille Paglia as possible, by the way. This is our goal. <laughs> Double-jointed pussy. Camille, we know you're listening. <laughs> I lost my shit when she showed up. Anyway. <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, uh, we're going to like spoil it and break it down. It's probably more fun to just experience it. So this is your spoiler warning, I guess. Like the only time that we'll do that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's not because we're going to spoil the plot. It's... It's an experience kind of movie. And also like the sort of one-two punch that it throws at you, like right at the end. Uh, that's like the yeah. point of the film is really, it hits a lot harder when you're not expecting it. So. Even having like read about this movie, I still didn't understand what it was about really until after watching it anyway. Yeah. Because the Wikipedia page doesn't do a good job explaining what's going on. No. But it's very similar to uh, what's the Orson Welles documentary? Yeah, Effer Fake. It's black lesbian Effer Fake. (laughs) Yeah, it's similar to Effer Fake. It uses 
the language of cinema to frame, okay, this is fiction. It looks like a 90s indie movie. This is found footage and it's shot on like Super 8 or it's shot on VCR. This is a student film. It's shot on VCR. Um, And then also staged archival photos and archival footage. I believe the footage was also recreated. Yeah, yeah. Um, You can see at the end there's credits of like all of the stuff that contains the watermelon woman in it, including like the photographs and stuff. They say like who was the person, not just the actress that was the watermelon woman, but like who made all of those. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So it's a movie about doing research on black women in 20s and 30s Hollywood films and it creates uh, it, it switches between a fiction movie and a documentary and you're not quite sure where like the lines are drawn like uh, Cheryl Dunye's actual mother is in the movie as her mother mm-hmm. just named her mother and it's like was this a real interview it's like no they're talking about the watermelon woman who is entirely fictional so it was staged but we're gonna get to camille paglia which i don't know if she was acting or not no she was not and like because she taught (laughs) she still teaches taught still teaches at um oh god it's in philly university of like philadelphia arts of philadelphia or something like that is the university where camille paglia is at and if i don't know if that's where cheryl dunya went i could look it up right now but i'm not going to type in all over my keyboard because it's where my microphone is yeah so she was she's in philly (laughs) so easy access kind of notorious anti-feminist feminist very critical of french feminism weirdly and she's really weird about gender and climate change and is batshit um, <laughs> yeah, just tack that on last. Batch. Just leave with that maybe next time. Yeah. 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 I didn't. What did I write? I said, what is this white lady on about? <laughs> my notes I typed as I was watching the movie. <laughs> Whereas I just fully had a meltdown. <laughs> I had no idea who she was and was just like, <laughs> Pretty much the same as you, Justin. I was just like, what is this white lady on about? And why does she think that she, like, like who does she think she is that she gets to say this shit? It was so bizarre. She's kind of fashy because she's like, oh, twinks and femboys and the, the homosexuals and, and the trans. That means uh, the degenerate society is fall of society is happening. And I'm like, uh-huh. Okay, Camille. She She's... I think she's a proponent of the social contagion transness uh, thing, or she's like skirts around it at least. She weirdly calls herself trans. Yeah. But in a way where she's like, yes, I have dysphoria and I've never felt like I was a girl, but I'm also not going to transition or anything. And trans people suck. And I'm like, oh, fuck you, Camille. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think Rowling says something similar. Oh God. So many of them do. Rowling doesn't go out and call herself trans. Yeah. But Camille does. Like, Camille says that she identifies as, like, trans, but is not transitioning. And still goes by she, her, and and Mm -hmm. all of that. But she just says, like, yes, I have all this dysphoria, and I don't feel like a woman, but kind of stuff. So, yeah. Interesting. Anywho, skipping ahead. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of in the middle of the, the movie. But this was made in 96 it was preserved and remastered by ucla 20 years later i believe Uh, so it was remastered and it was i believe it got kind of like a tour with cheryl danier going around talking about what's changed in 20 years what hasn't changed like what is she still angry about in filmmaking and her desire to make cinema not just films so really interesting, but it it, it kind of jumps between like this lesbian romance of working in a video store while having a side gig as like a videographer for weddings and poetry readings and stuff. And this this documentary project where she's trying to find out about this woman she's obsessed with, the watermelon woman. Right. Who played like, quote, mammy types in um, like 30s cinema and... And other like like race films of the of the time. Yeah, I feel like this is a really funny movie if you were a lesbian in the '90s. But there's a th- ton of things I think went over my head. It's same here. I was like, when I was skimming the Wikipedia article or the Wikipedia later, it was like, oh yeah, the film's moments of comedy, and I'm like, where were those besides the arch the archival scene, the, the archive scene? 
I knew jokes were happening. I just didn't. I knew I wasn't getting them. Like the I got the them. karaoke <laughs> was so funny. Oh, like everyone's my God, bad karaoke. at karaoke. It's so funny. Yeah. No one can sing. Everyone in this movie is kind of not cool. Everyone's kind of nerdy. Well, yeah, because they're all dykes. <laughs> well, also the guy who's the film collector. Oh, that that queen. I loved him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one, he's one like going that, off. He's like, what is this? The, he had like a neon sign that he drama. was showing off. drama because yeah. the drama happens here. She's serving the drama. <laughs> I was like, Oh honey, I do love that the, this film sort of makes that explicit point that early film history, at least early Hollywood has always been black and has always been queer. Um, I feel like the director, Martha, whatever the white woman director of the films that uh, the watermelon woman was in and that they were alleged lovers in this is supposed to be Dorothy Arzner, who was a very popular studio director at the time. Uh, Lucille Ball was in one of her films and she was a huge dyke. And so I feel like that's probably like supposed to be like a Dorothy Arzner type character. And so this film sort of, Showing that like film has always been black, has always been queer, but that history of it has either been not recorded, destroyed, or forgotten. Uh, like archival, I was thinking about like the archival silent stuff through this mm. through this whole thing, and so I love that like, especially with like that collector. Like the only reason they know about that collector is because they mention the watermelon woman. Like Cheryl mentions the watermelon woman to her coworker and friend Tamara. Um, like her mom or grandma or something. And she's like, oh yeah, there's this family friend and brings out a business card that says like race films on it. And he's a collector and sort of this like soft skill word of mouth type of researching outside of any sort of formal institution type of research and searching that this sort of history can only be found through because it's been destroyed or not collected elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also the kind of problems of like cataloging and things comes up several times like uh she goes to the library to get as many books as she can on black women in Hollywood and women directors and then she goes to the reference desk and the reference guys like well it's not watermelon woman's not coming up in the system did you check the reference section and then she goes uh well he says oh you could look in the black reference section did you look in the black reference section she's like no i'm trying to find a book on this woman who's not well known and then she tries to get the the director and then he says well you got to go to the uh reserve desk bye <laughs> yeah like that's on the third that floor. scene is what so much of that chapter in ephemeral material is about is about that scene um because of like the way that this like a white male librarian which you don't often see in movies like he's <laughs> like a younger white guy um, as the librarian, as this sort of gatekeeping institutional figure who's fucking clueless, very bad at doing the reference interview. But like that sort of like librarian as gatekeeper, librarian is like, oh, that's over in the black section, right? Like, and in a way, it's sort of like it sort of shows like the sort of like double edged sword of when we, and I believe like Sandy Berman talks about this a lot uh, too with subject headings, is there's like the directors and then there's woman directors or directors and black directors, right? Where when you have special sections dedicated to things that both brings attention to them in like a good way, it's like, yes, we need to be bringing attention to this, but also quote like ghettoizes stuff as well. So if there's not also like other, like if if, if there's just directors and then black directors and it's obviously setting up white as the default. Right. And so I felt like that scene really demonstrates that whole like, oh, there's reference, but then there's black reference, right? Go over there. I have no idea yeah. what's in there, but go and she over doesn't there. want reference. You look. Right. She doesn't want reference. She wants books about something. And then when he's like, Well, have you looked over here? Which is actually a valid question to ask. Well, have you checked this? He just doesn't do it right because Tamara, her friend, takes that as a very patronizing question. Like, obviously, we've looked there. Why do you think we're here asking you now? Like, which is why when you do the reference interview, you have to be really careful not to sound patronizing when you ask people, well, have you already tried this? <laughs> so I should have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it happens again when they go to the clit archive before they even go there, because they have a white coworker who's like a goth. 
Yeah. Like all lady who tomorrow like hates and keeps making fun of, which is pretty funny. Uh, yeah. She keeps making fun of her dog collar. It's a really big dog collar for such it's a little huge. girl. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like that episode of uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena where she gets a cowbell and wears it around yes. her neck. <laughs> she turns into a cow. <laughs> she turns into a cow because she has a Dior cowbell. <laughs> but she had, yeah, she, on the dog collar had something on it. And that's what I thought of was the Dior cowbell. <laughs> uh, but she was like, I mean, that's oh. lesbians too. So, yeah. Oh, they work in a, like an exclusively gay video store. <laughs> like, yeah. everyone in this movie is clearly gay. <laughs> like, all the well, actors. because all their friends are gay. And it's just their yeah, friends yeah. that are in this, obviously. So it seems like they work in like an exclusively gay video store. <laughs> Which the little like the like in one of the very first scenes of the video store, and I didn't like rewind to double check this, and I didn't have my subtitles on. But like, there's like like some sort of like black teen who comes to the the desk, and I'm assuming it was a like a, a guy. I couldn't tell from like the back, mm-hmm. but um, has like some, some like a, a you know like a, like one of the tapes, and I think he asks for the. Th- Do you have the three tenors? <laughs> Which like it's like Pavarotti and Domingo and whoops the other uh, third guy like they're opera tenors and they were like a fucking super group <laughs> because they were the three tenors right and they had a couple of film performances so like of course this fucking little opera queen coming in here asking for the three tenors what you couldn't ask for something with Kalas in it <laughs> like <sighs> I thought that was funny someone asking for opera in this movie yeah so the. <laughs> Or <laughs> she even goes to the the clit archives. She's like, well, what is this? Like a, a white queer archive? She's like, no, they've got a black collection, a black lesbian collection. And then they actually go and like they just like completely make fun of community archives. This like uh she um she gets the box of uh she's like oh yeah here's a new collection she keeps repeating herself being like it's all volunteers everything's a mess but you know once we get it going it'll be really good (laughs) and then she dumps the archival box on the table (laughs) it was so good and then it goes to do it with another one and she's like no 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 but just like like the blatant like disrespect of the materials but also being like we're all volunteers you know, mm-hmm. we don't like, do they have training, which I would need to look at. I'm pretty sure the people at the lesbian her story archives have more um, training than that. I don't know if they necessarily require MLSs to, to work there, but I know they have their own whole like subject vocabulary or something. Like they know what they're doing at the lesbian her story archives. This film does them dirty. <laughs> Clit is not representative of the lesbian her story archives, <laughs> but that was like, yeah. It was pretty funny. And it was also um, making fun of uh, like leftist groups. So like, well, we have to all vote on whether or not we can contact the donor for you. Uh, And we meet every other month. So we'll have to do it then. Which that seemed like brought up interesting questions about like confidentiality, Mm -hmm. about like the materials and stuff. Like why were those materials confidential and um also if they were like the archive was seen as in the wrong for trying to protect that confidentiality whereas cheryl was trying to like sneak like filming the photos because it's very important for her resource research it's like this is like this is information that's not out there and people need to know this but for whatever reason that collection was confidential and we're not told why I think maybe just Cheryl Denny doesn't understand the whole role of confidentiality in archives and libraries and was just like, oh, it's all confidential. You can't take pictures of things. It's like, no, you can. But, you know, that sort of like questioning of like the professional ethics of confidentiality. And it's like, who gets to decide what's confidential and and when is it worth breaking that and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and she, she kind of had that whole like, oh, you can't film this particular thing sprung on her too. Like, yeah, she came in there with camera equipment with like her yeah. coworker filming. So like, just be like, oh, no, you can't film these ones in particular kind of deal. So yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was in, like intending that like it wasn't actually confidential and the volunteer just didn't know what they were talking about. Was kind of the confusing part. Yeah. 
Because, yeah, there's no reason given as to why it's confidential. Yeah, like this film does not paint libraries or archives in a very good light. Whereas home personal, quote, archiving, her mother is kind of a hoarder. Or um, June, who was the lover of Bay Richards, the watermelon woman. Um, like they have these sort of collections that they've held on to over years and years and years that are disorganized and not labeled and all of this stuff. Whereas like, you know, personal, intimate home archiving and in the case of her mother of her mother like hoarding almost and like also like the collector like that's his own personal thing he's not part of an institution that's all framed Mm -hmm. in a very positive light um because those are all um black people and black queer people except in the case of her mother like collecting and archiving this history outside of any sort of official white institutions which are rightfully shown to be like hostile to this project and i think it's it's probably a reflection of her research because it was both they were trying to do research at the Library of Congress and I want to say at the Her Story Archive, but licensing wouldn't cover the materials they wanted to use, plus the research costs, I think, of going through and getting materials pulled and copied. Yeah. So it was probably based on um, but it's 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 it blurs the line of like reality and fiction. It's all fiction. But I was just like, I think some of this comes from actual research that she did in the early 90s. Yeah, I think so. And so I was like, did she actually hook up with someone while she was doing research? And that became the the love interest who was played by the lady who wrote the script for American Psycho. What, that's her? Yeah. What? Guinevere Turner. Because like, I knew she was an actress and, um, oh, fuck, she's from Boston. Fuck, she did write American Psycho. And the, the notorious Betty Page. Yeah, I love American Psycho. That's a great movie. Like, she, we're talking about the movie here, not the book, which is by Easton Ellis, which I have not read. And I hear maybe don't read. I mean, whatever. But um, the film is incredible. Good for mm-hmm. her. She's great in this. Like, that is another interesting aspect of this is because um, obviously this this film is about, like, the intersections of, like, race and sexuality and history and history and memory and all that and one of the things about the watermelon woman is that like again the director that she worked with was a white woman and they were shown to be like lovers and then cheryl who is a black lesbian has a relationship with a white woman in this for a time and gets like kind of made fun of by tamara for being with a white woman as in like it's it's sort of a a hinted that this is not the first time that she's been with like a white woman and so there's like a lot of interesting stuff about like sort of crossing into realms you're maybe quote not supposed to go into like mixed race uh relationships but also again this sort of like what role what place do black queer people have in the history institutionalized formalized history of film they don't and that's like a, a boundary and a mixing of where like they're supposed to be and not be and stuff but also that actress and, is really hot. <laughs> I think that also kind of leads into the Camille Paglia scene because so she's interviewed in the VHS film format. So it's for the documentary. And she's saying that actually the Mammy figure is like a symbol of fertility. And she looks just like my Italian grandma who make it a sauce. And, you know, my Italian grandma never left the kitchen. And uh, I don't know what the point she was making there. Watermelon's not racist because my Italian grandma, she make it a sauce and they love the love the watermelon. And it's the colors of the Italian flag. Yeah, yeah. Italian flag. And that, a young black boy <laughs> smiling over an open watermelon. That should be a good thing, a sign of joy and pleasure. And that it's not the history of why that's bad that's bad. It's black critics reading that is bad that is bad is her like she's like oh it's black people who are reading into this and making it bad it's like oh uh-huh. okay camille paglia uh-huh. <laughs> yeah there's a difference there's a difference between the reasons why your grandmother wasn't always in her kitchen and never left and the reason why a, a mammy figure is always in the kitchen and doesn't leave like and also the betrayal of- yeah portrayal in film yeah, yeah exactly and then also, uh, yeah, Diane's aunt or whatever is the sister of the the oh, yeah. Yeah. director. Very like Cary Grant's family being like, oh, that was his friend. He wasn't a homosexual. How dare you insinuate that? 
Yeah, that's what Cary Grant's living family does to him now. Is they're like, no, that was just his male friend he lived with. What are you talking about? How dare you insinuate that he was queer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But she also has a, a black housekeeper. Oh, I miss that. Yeah. Who who like comes in after Cheryl starts yelling at her and being like, "Come on, everyone knows your sister was gay." Like everyone knows it. And then, yeah, her girlfriend's like trying to console her aunt or whatever. But then, yeah, like a, a black cook comes in and she's like, are you all right? I missed that because I was typing. Yeah. I thought that that also, scene she was, was in really... chasing a and the L word. She really oh. did the, the, the dyke round there. <laughs> I found that scene like really interesting just because like Cheryl's voiceover, uh, like how she's describing the scene and how like it, the interview went is like very different from the body language that's being portrayed in the scene because Cheryl's like it went pretty well and you know that's when I think Diana who's the the girlfriend like was really starting to get it but Diana's like sitting on the edge of the couch couch with like her hands clenched and her like knees clenched and I'm like no that's that's a white woman who doesn't know how to control the scene anymore who's freaking out because her black girlfriend mm. is you know implying something about the white older rich lady's sister that is not going to go over well and cheryl's just like yeah i went okay i was like girl i, I had to tell I her what was, was what you know <laughs> yeah like i had to tell her what was what and i was like oh god yeah and i think they have one more scene together before they break up where she's talking about having uh, black boyfriends in high school, and then she uh, Cheryl makes them. like an yeah, and Cheryl makes like an offhand comment because I guess what Tamara was saying was sticking was sticking in her head, and then her girlfriend doesn't know how to take it. It was another one of those scenes where I think there was something the acting like couldn't convey or something in the script or something, but it's kind of explained later anyway. So you kind of like get scenes like two scenes later when they go like, and then we broke up. <laughs> Like, oh, right. Yeah, that's why that happened. I mean, they're lesbians, you know. <laughs> Whirlwind dramatic relationship is kind of the name of the game in, like, lesbian cinema of the time. Yeah, she's also I mean, very they- rich. Yeah. Um, she moves to Philly, doesn't work, um, has a big apartment, like a big industrial conversion thing. Lived all over the world. Yeah, uh, was born in Jamaica. Yeah, decided that she just didn't know what to do at school anymore, so left after getting like two degrees or something like that. Like, I'm not sure this is for me anymore. And it's like, yeah, I guess not. Like, you're lucky to get it in the first place, though. Yeah, that scene and the the dinner scene, I was like, I feel like I'm not quite getting something here. Like, I don't know if it's not being given or if I'm just like not not 90s, not Mm. black, not dyke enough you know, for, to get it. But yeah, those, those were the two scenes that afterwards I was like, what was going on there that I was missing? Cause yeah, like the, the conversation in the dinner scene, I'm like, I'm not really seeing why Tamara's throwing a hissy fit or like, was it Stacy, Tamara's girlfriend? Like one of them was like getting real weird. And I was like, I'm not really sure. I'm not really seeing why that's happening. Yeah, and like the next scene, Cheryl explains that they're growing apart, and I was like, "Yeah, I get that. I get kind of like the the class difference and everything shows up in that scene, but it was kind of like, why is her friendship falling apart? I was a little confused. Yeah, but like from the beginning of the film, it showed that they were like kind of not meshing well as friends, even. Yeah. So. Oh, do you want to talk about the films that Tamara keeps getting? Oh. Uh, oh, God. Ordering films on other customers' accounts so that they can order them? Yeah, she gets black uh, porn. Yeah. What were they called? They had some great titles. Uh, oh, my God. Black Balding Ball Busters. Yeah. Or Black Bald Ball Busters, which I, yeah, which I'm not sure. I think that was uh, like, yeah, I think it was all like dyke porn. What cracked me up was she was like, she was like, Tamara, why that? And she's like, I just was curious what that looked like without hair. (laughs) Yeah, that was a great line. (laughs) You're risking your job. Yeah. Yeah, that shit was funny. Which to be fair, Diane or whatever name took it like a champ. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That whole scene too was great. (laughs) Yeah. All the scenes in the video store are really fun. Mm -hmm. It's very 90s indie movie time. It's very clerks. You've got to have a video scene store, like a video rental scene. This film changed how the National Endowment for the Arts 
gets uh, gives funding to films because gas, but there was sex. There's some yeah. sex in this too. Yeah, I, I get it. it's. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the, so. That's the thing about portraying like quote like sex and like because it's like when when does something cross the line from being into simulated versus unsimulated sex normally it's just when when genitals touch right but there's fully like licking and sucking on nipples in this Mm -hmm. film so i've always wondered like why that didn't count as like part of actual like fucking why that's not simulated as well it's like no they they actually had to like lick each other's nipples for this um so there's nipple licking uh if that is your thing Mm -hmm. in this film it's pretty good. <laughs> I remember the first like because I watched this back in grad school when I was still a dyke, and I was like, "Dear Lord!" <laughs> like when I was watching this, I'm like, "This is fucking hot." So remember when movies had fucking in them, like for no reason, just to just have it in there. Yeah, they they were just like, "Well, what are we gonna do now?" And then a sex scene that goes on actually quite a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Yeah, it's good. You can tell like Dykes did it too because it's so, all the focus is on hands. Mm-hmm. I was <laughs> gonna say there's a lot of hand holding, touching, yeah, close ups of shoulders. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Representative Peter Hoekstra, who's a Republican, I don't remember when he. Uh, so he was oh, he was ambassador in the Netherlands at some point. So yeah, he was in Congress until 2011, and he wrote a letter to NEA chairwoman Jane Alexander saying that the Watermelon Woman is one of several gay and lesbian-themed works cited by Michigan Republican as evidence of the serious possibility taxpayer money is being used to fund the production and distribution of patently offensive and possibly pornographic movie. And then they're like, it's not that it's gay, it's that it's sex. Which, to be fair, there is sex in this. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the I'm not a homophobe, I'm just a hater defense. Which, yeah. did you see that tweet? no. Oh, it was a. Uh, it was like a New York City's best city in the world. Some guy told me and my girlfriend to stop making out, and he said, "I'm not a homophobe. I'm just a hater." Move. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I, I like the fact that it was a spokesperson for this Republican who was like, oh, no, he doesn't have a problem with the gay con, it, it, the gay stuff. It's it's the explicit sex stuff. But it's like in his letter or whatever, he explicitly says like several gay and lesbian themes were themed works that he was like, you know, against as being patently offensive. Yeah, because we used to put fucking in our movies before. <laughs> Right. Before we all turn into well, fucking 17 year old prudes. And when I read that, I was just like, Republicans is the same from the 90s until now. <laughs> like, they're, they have not like changed their tune at all. Like, no. you just take out the watermelon woman sex scene for whatever book is currently pissing off the Christian fundies like this week. And it's like the same exact lines. And for some reason, like, it's still working. <sighs> So the NEA changed from funding groups to funding specific projects because of this. So that's why the grant structures changed. But yeah, I just seem it seems like you should just give a film group money. I also have the DVD of this. So on the DVD, it's just like no introduction commercials. So like you put the DVD in, it just starts playing commercials for this film company. And uh, they're all like completely different tonally, but they just mashed them all together. And they were like, like an animated claymation movie that's like really gross looking like Sarah Squirm kind of stuff. And then like uh, a, f- a movie in like in Hebrew and then like a movie in uh, an- like another animated movie. You get the Criterion edition, right? Uh, do I? I don't have the case with me. Have you joined the Criterion Club? <laughs> no, I um, can't attend a lot of meetings. They, they meet every other month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it also has uh, some short films that Cheryl Dunye did as bonus material. I didn't get around to watching them because uh, I didn't want to start confusing them with the movie. Because mm. I started them and they were like uh, little short films about like dating. And I was like, oh, I don't want to f- mix up the plots of these of these movies. They look, they look kind of similar, except that she's got a different haircut. I am still kind of confused by the end of this. I mean, I, I it makes a whole lot more sense to me when you realize like, the film pieces are all meant to convey a certain style. Like this is found footage. This is fiction. This is documentary footage, shot counter shot stuff. 
it kind of made me think of, because the point of this movie was like creating history by doing fiction. Yeah, because her whole thing is that like she couldn't find a lot of, in real life, like a lot of history and information about the history of black lesbians in early cinema, early Hollywood. And so she decided because it's like, she knows that that history is there, but for whatever reason, we don't have it. And so she's creating it herself. Yeah. It's correcting the falseness of history Mm -hmm. with, it's kind of like the definition of mythology. It's like a story that is designed to tell a truth, but it's not history. It's a story that you use to explain things about the world. Um, so it's modern mythology, but people don't like the word mythology because they think that just means a not true story. Um, but sort of mythology means reinterpretation of of things that we assume to be true. Yeah, like the film ends like with her putting up a quote from herself uh, on the screen that says, "Sometimes you have to create your own history." Yeah, and it says, "A uh, the watermelon woman is fiction, or the whole yeah. thing is fiction." And then if you're if you're like doing some research on the web, it's like, "Is the watermelon woman real?" <laughs> Is this real life? <laughs> Which it's very much like you can tell the movie's part drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is confusing. Like when she interviews her mother, I'm like, is this a real interview that she's stitching in? Is she doing part fiction and part documentary? But no, it's all acting except for, I think, Camille Paglia, uh, <laughs> who didn't know she was in a movie. <laughs> she just they, She just showed up. <laughs> Oh, oh, and I, I, that was why I jumped to her at that point was she also said, oh, I didn't, uh, she didn't know that the director was gay. And she's like, oh, well, and, and, and interracial, that was so hard back then because, you know, look who's coming to dinner in the fifties. I mean, that was still like a big deal. It was very funny that she referenced like, look who's coming to dinner as like her historical proof that interracial relationships were tough. Yeah. It's like, oh, this there wasn't representation of this, so obviously it didn't happen, right? It was very, it was such an academic thing to do. Yeah. Camille fucking Paglia. Just the, she talks, as, as someone who talks very quickly, she talks so quickly <laughs> to the point where I worry about her. Um, <laughs> if that was, if that was scripted, it was very, very funny, but I just like to imagine that she just was told to start talking. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like Sarah Shulman, you can tell, is in on the fucking joke. Yeah. I mean, it's Sarah Shulman. Pour one out. Like, she's a real one. I love Sarah. Everyone go read Conflict is Not Abuse right now. Go do it. Um, And also go hate Rent (laughs) in her honor, too. I have no idea why they showed Camille Pagley in this. Maybe to show, like, you know, because she does talk to... She's trying to get interviews from people. And, like, she's trying to show... That like the any like formalized red white like routes of information in this film uh, go nowhere, right? And are often hostile or oblivious or just aren't meshing for whatever reason. Because like Clit has the information, they just kind of dump it everywhere and then are trying to deny access to it for whatever reason. And we're shown to see that those reasons are false. That it's bad, that there's confidentiality. Again, we don't know why, but yeah. There was also safe space dialogue. Oh, yeah, this is a safe space. Well, wasn't Camille, Pelic- how do you say Paglia. her name? Paglia. She's the only like actual academic in the entire film. And like Isn't a real, she? real person, real academic. And like, an, uh, like a real person, real academic. So it's like all of the information that Cheryl was getting that was actually useful. Yeah. It was from like friends of the family or her own like coworkers being like, Oh yeah, yeah, there's this disorganized archive kind of shit. And then it's like this random, like the kind of interview I would have expected in a documentary with like an academic who's supposed to be. Oh, it's like a total like talking head style. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the only thing like that in the entire like film. And she just goes off the rails and it's like barely relevant. Yeah, it was, it was fucking Mm -hmm. nuts. And then it just goes back to being like the friends and family interview, like found footage, you know, sort of research search. And yeah. And like, so I feel like when I've seen this movie discussed both by like film critics, as well as again, in that book, which has been since this film talks about is like about like, like archival silence, like we talked about before, like things not being recorded, information being destroyed, and not like collected in archives and libraries, either on purpose or by accident, and normally have like a 
oppressed groups, right? Um, that the white institution of librarianship and archives is hostile or antithetical to black histories, right? Which this film is very good at at showing that. But this time around when I was watching it, and I think this is spurred on by a um so last week and the week before, I was at was at the Music Library Association conference, right? And I was in a session on um, instruction pedagogy techniques and like critical instruction pedagogies and stuff. And I'm often quite critical of library pedagogy because often it's cringy and students don't care and maybe I'm cynical. But I was actually quite impressed with a lot of what I saw. And one of the people, like someone asked a question about like, well, I'm at like a conservatory, which I am too. So I was like, yes. Uh, It's like, I'm at a conservatory. My students aren't doing musicology, like research papers and stuff. How do I get them to care about info lit and stuff when they're performance majors and stuff? Like, why, how do I get them to care? What is even relevant to them? You know, all that kind of stuff. And the, one of the people leading the session brought up an amazing point, which is something that I've been trying to articulate in my conservatory and place of work as well. And that like information literacy, especially if we look at the ACRL frames and are very literal about them, right? It's like, you know, scholarship is a conversation, right? Or um, authority is constructed and contextual, like all of these things, like those don't just apply to writing research papers and going through databases and stuff. Like she brought up the point that um, a student talking with their professor, who is probably someone also a performer in the field that they're trying to be in and will be asking not just like, hi, I need lessons and whatnot, but asking information about the field and careers and stuff like that. That is also like information seeking. That is also something you need information literacy for. So focusing on like, what is the role of these soft skills in libraries and archives and how we teach those and how crucial those are in areas like like this film where like, the, hor- the, the history of like black lesbian cinema is not something that like is easy to navigate through traditional formal white avenues, but more so through talking with people and like, Oh, a family friend who is a collector, um, you know, all of these kinds of soft avenues and what role libraries play in teaching those uh, sort of more soft research skills, as well as like, here's how you search the official materials. What do you think, Arthur? Yeah, I mean, those are the ACRL information literacy stuff is pretty it's it's pretty like broad and I think mm-hmm. applies pretty well. They're pretty good compared to like a lot of other standards that I looked I at back when I was really into this mm-hmm. back when I was like teaching more. And I would usually talk about like right wing extremism to explain information literacy. That was the main way I taught it because it grabbed students attention. But yeah, it it definitely shows that like classification has a bias. She gets stonewalled by the librarian more or less who just is not paying attention. And the academic is Camille Paglia is just useless <laughs> at giving information. So there's, there's no path through there. We haven't really talked about the ending though, where she meets Bay, the watermelon woman's longtime partner who then like rebukes her going like, why are you talking about her relationship with this white director and um, her mammy films? Yeah, yeah. Why are you talking about these films? What's wrong with you? And then, so uh, the character Cheryl has like a reflection on like, well, I get to choose what I talk about. I, I've only seen this movie once, so I can't, I can't like quote it from memory. Like when we did the man from earth, but like, she's like, I get to choose what I talk about. This is my project. I, she means something to me. She meant something to you as your partner. She means something to me as a black lesbian filmmaker. Right. So I can only do what I can with that. So it's, I think that's why I'm thinking of the man from earth. It's very much obsessed with history and knowing the self and exploring history through fiction which is like what we talked about when we talked about Man from Earth. Like, why aren't historians writing movies like this? Because like, yeah, you should. Why aren't librarians writing movies like this? Because like, yeah. Right, because like, like that whole scene, that made me think of like, you know, discussions that we often have about um, indigenous collections broadly, but then also related to this, like community collections of like, who gets to say what is shared and what isn't. And in this film, like Juna said, like, you know, she wouldn't have wanted to be remembered through the the Mammy films, right? Like, that's not what she would have wanted, right? 
And Cheryl is like, okay, and then goes and does it anyway. And then that sort of reflects earlier in the in clit where it's like, this is confidential, and she takes that information anyway. Um, and so, like, really complicates these questions that we have about, like, who gets to decide when something is, I don't want to say gatekept, because sometimes that sounds hostile and oppressive when sometimes it's more like just, no, like, restricted. There's no one consensus answer to... right how to deal with sensitive material. Right. And so I, that's another, just like only two scenes in this film that deal with that. But I, I feel like the film is maybe very much on the side of like, no, this is important information that needs to be out there and has been hidden away for long enough and needs to be shared. But yeah, I was just, that was just in those two scenes. That was something that really um, struck me about who gets to make, those decisions and how the film is treating, framing um, people wanting certain information to be closed off. And I think probably a, an interpersonal theme of the movie is like, it's okay to be an individual and different and standoffish. So like choosing to go your own way with research is totally in keeping with the other parts of the movie of like who you date, if you wear a Dior cowbell around your neck, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> What you do with your life. So I think, and, and reading some some of the interviews that Cheryl Dunye did when this the 20th anniversary edition came out, I think that kind of sticks out about her personality is mm-hmm. being an individual and doing things your own way. Right. Like, again, that whole thing of her going like, you know, as you know, she mattered to me as well. In some ways, like this is very much a... Um, This film is pointing to a systemic structural problem and is, I don't want to like frame this as like, oh, but it's individualistic because then that makes it, that frames it in a very like liberal thing, but it is very, um, it's talking about the macro, but it zooms very far in into the micro to the individual that sometimes it's like, I don't know if the film is trying to make a point about like we should all be doing this or this is just telling like her telling this history and story as an individual that probably didn't make any sense but no i think yeah. i got it i it i think the movie's not too focused on answering that question that's probably why it doesn't yeah but yeah i don't know why it took so long for me to remember that this movie exists and that we should do an episode on it. this should have been like one of the first fucking movie episodes we ever did <laughs> It's so good. We had to sort through them all. Yeah. Everyone go read the book, um, Ephemeral uh, Materials. It's through Litwin Books. It's real good. There's a And there's a chapter about this. There might be two chapters. Because I think there's one on that whole little reference scene. And there's one on, on Clit <laughs> in it. Because talking about the lesbian her story archives. Um, and mentions like Clit. So I think there's at least one, but maybe two chapters about this film in there. And and then that's how I, um, that's how I heard about it and was like, this sounds like exactly my kind of movie because I was a lesbian person at the time. And I wasn't yet in library school yet. I was still a senior in college and I read that book. Yeah. So more librarians and archivists, if you, haven't seen this film, you should. <laughs> uh, it got a little bit of attention recently just because of its like Criterion release. But yeah, everyone, like, fucking go watch this. It's great. If you like Party Girl, you're going to like this. <laughs> All of you Party Girlers out there. Seriously, stop. We should do this film instead of Party Girl in library school now. It's going to be my rule. Let's wrap up. We did an hour. Uh... Play another one of your horrible drops, Justin. We don't even want to. Good night.